normally we don't do this. We don't interrupt a series, but because of Super Bowl and because my wife needed a vacation, um, actually we needed to reconnect and, and we try to do that a couple of times a year. So I took a break in the middle of this series. We're coming back to our follow series. And so I want to remind you of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Remember I said, you can tell who someone is following by the clothes that they wear. And I showed you the Texas Rangers and I showed you Baylor Bears because I went there and, and I showed you um, uh, some cheese heads. And I don't even, I think that's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen, the, the Green Bay Packers. But I also showed you followers of different religions and you could tell by what they were wearing what religion they were a part of. Well, at the end of that service, I told you what Christ followers were supposed to wear. And the first service, not a single person remembered what it was. And you know, that kind of defeats a pastor. That was just a couple of weeks ago. So I, I, surely someone in here is better. Do you, who said it? Say it. Chick flick. PG. All right. So here it is. Put up chick flick PG. All right, this is what I told you Christ followers are supposed to wear, and this comes from Colossians. And, and what we said was, y'all couldn't remember it, so I'm not even going to ask you what, what the, each one stands for. So I'm going to show you. Here's what it is. Compassion, humility, kindness, forgiveness, love, kindness. I know kindness is in there twice, but it made it work. Chick flick instead of chick flick PG. You know, that doesn't work. Chick flick PG. If you don't even remember what it stands for, I'm, I'm not even going to ask you if you wore it, if you put on. But here's the point. If you wear those things, if you get up, and that's what Paul is saying, get up and put on these things, you will reflect Jesus Christ to people outside. You will, you will be called a Christian because they'll say you must follow Jesus because these things are evident in your life. Well, today we're going to talk about the fine print. You know what fine print means, right? It usually is in a contract and it has to do with your behavior. You do these things, you do this. It usually has to do with penalty. You don't do these things. This stuff is going to happen. So I just decided, I was thinking about this. I decided to Google quotes about fine print. And sure enough, there are, there's a top 10. I chose three of the top 10. Here they are. The big print giveth, the fine print taketh away. <laughs> right? That's, that's pretty accurate. Here's another one. Nothing in the fine print is ever good news. Here's one that really applies to us today. Do you know the difference between education and experience? Education is when you read the fine print. Experience is when you don't. So today I'm going to talk to you about something. I'm going to hopefully educate you about something. It's not really in the fine print um, because Jesus was very open about it. Jesus spoke plainly about it. What I think is churches don't speak plainly about it. You see, um, when I was growing up, um, there were a lot of things I heard and didn't hear. Some things I think it was partially me not listening, and maybe you're not listening. But Jesus is going to talk to a group of people, a group of followers, and he begins to recognize that these followers, there's two different kinds. There's Jesus followers. There's also Jesus consumers. Jesus followers or Jesus consumers, if that doesn't kind of make you think, oh, no, maybe I came to the wrong service, just wait. It gets better. Um, <laughs> Jesus never taught that it was okay for you to use him to get what you want. He is not a genie in a bottle. He is not some, some magic person that you go to only when you need him. He didn't teach that. Now, don't get me wrong. There's tremendous benefits in following Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, if you follow my teaching, you'll be like a man who built his house upon a rock. And when the storms came, that house stood firm. 
So there's tremendous benefit in following Jesus if your house is going to stand firm during um, trials. Um, but if you're like me, all you ever heard was the good stuff. There's forgiveness of sins. There, um, there's heaven. That's good stuff. And you didn't hear the bad things. You didn't hear the cost of following. Well, Jesus is going to tell us very plainly today the cost of following. So kind of put on your seatbelt and, and get ready for this. Mark 8, 27 is where we're going to start. And Jesus says this. Jesus and his disciples were on, went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? Now, I talked about Caesarea Philippi a while back, and so I'm going to put up a couple of pictures. This is what it looks like today. When Janie and I went to Israel, we go here, and it looks beautiful, and I thought, oh, this is great, and I, I remembered Caesarea Philippi from the scripture, but when we got there, I started noticing there's all kinds of weird um, religious shrines there. Next one. This is what it looks like today, and this is a cave, and, and all of these little things, these carvings up here, they're, they're shrines to different gods. Now, here's an artist, artist rendering of what it looked like back in the day. This was the temple or the sanctuary of Pan, a pagan god, and then there were all kinds. When we walked around, there's all kinds of plaques all around here, and you go all over. It's gorgeous, but I felt uncomfortable because it was a shrine to pagan gods, and I just felt, I actually felt like there was spiritual attack going on, and I said to Janie, I don't like being here. And then we started studying and we realized that, that there were all these different gods that were there. So Jesus is with his disciples. They're walking to this place. And Jesus says, who do people say I am? Because at this place, people say there's all kinds of gods. There's all kinds of ways that you can get what you want. Jesus said, who do people say I am? Now, let me tell you, you probably don't want to ask your friends that question. Who do people say I am? Because you might not like the answer. But Jesus had a reason for asking. Jesus always has a reason for asking. Look what they say. They replied, some say John the Baptist. Now, a couple of months ago, you know, we talked about John the Baptist. Call him J the B. Hannah liked that, so i got to say it again. J the B gets thrown into prison, into a dungeon, and his view for a year is the wilderness. Wilderness. He's there so long that he starts to think, maybe Jesus isn't the one. And so he sends his disciples, his disciples to Jesus and says, hey, are you really the Messiah or should we start looking for someone else? Because you're not doing what I think you should do. John is eventually beheaded by the king. He dies in prison. And, and so some people are saying, well, maybe this is John the Baptist, J the B, come back to life. Or... Others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. So Jesus, everybody says, you're one of the big guys. You're one of the big guys from the Old Testament, maybe one of the prophets, maybe even Elijah himself. And then Jesus asks, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Now, in, in Matthew chapter 16, there's this, he also records this. and he, Matthew says that, that Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So let me define those two terms. Messiah is the Hebrew word. And the, it's, the Messiah is the promised deliverer of the Hebrew Bible. The Hebrew Bible is the Old Testament. The one we've been waiting for, the one that has been prophesied, that's the Messiah. Peter says, you're him. You're the Messiah. If it's Christ, that's the Greek translation, and, and it actually means, that's not his last name, Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. Um, we went over that in our small group as well. Christ is the anointed one. So Peter says, the one that our nation has been hoping for, the anointed one, the Messiah, the hope of Israel, you're him. 
Right answer. Now look what Jesus says in verse 30. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And as a kid, I remember hearing stuff like this. Jesus said, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone. I'm going, why don't you want everyone to know, Jesus? It, it really messed me up. Well, here's the deal. It's the right answer. It was the wrong time for him to reveal his identity because when he reveals his identity and comes out and just says it, he's going to be nailed to a cross. And, and so um, the reason Jesus asked his followers this question, who do you say I am, is because he needed to know that they knew he was the anointed one. Once he knew they knew he was the anointed one, then he goes on to some really tough teaching for today. Verse 31. He then began to teach them that the son of man must suffer. Now this, this came up in our small group a few weeks ago, the son of man. I'm going to tell you what that means in just a minute. But he begins to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed after three days and rise again. Now, we tend to talk about Jesus as the Son of God. You hear me say that all the time. Jesus, the Son of God, Son of, son of God. But Jesus' favorite self-designation was Son of Man. And I believe it's taken from Daniel chapter 7. If you read that whole chapter, it's kind of this, it's this vision that Daniel has of the future. Daniel is a prophet, and he tells the future. And it's some crazy stuff that he talks about. He talks about these, these rulers that are going to rise up, and then he talks about, he calls God the Ancient of Days, and he describes the Ancient of Days coming and sitting on his throne. And then he talks about the Son of Man comes before the ancient of days. And I want to read those verses to you. This is Daniel chapter seven, verses 13 and 14. Da Daniel says, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. That magically got capitalized. Look at you. Coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, God, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power, and all nations and people of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. When Jesus, on purpose, called himself the Son of Man, he's identifying with this guy who is no mere human. He is involved in the redemption story of history. This is a big deal. Jesus never did anything accidentally. So he's identifying and everyone knew the Hebrew Bible. Everyone knew he was claiming to be this guy. Now, why didn't Jesus just come out and say, I'm the son of God? Well, it all has to do with timing. And when he was before the high priest and the high priest said, are you the son of God, the, the son of the living? Are you the Christ, the son of the living God? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man coming on uh, in glory on the clouds. And at that, the high priest tears his robe and he said, this man has blasphemed. How dare he claim to be the son of God? How dare Jesus claim to be what he was? He's the son of man. He's the son of God. And Jesus very often talked about, called himself this. For example, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So when he says son of man, he's talking about the one whose kingdom will never end. Now, um, he confessed it right when it was going to cost him the most, right when he was going to be crucified. All right, back to verse 32. He spoke plainly. How did he speak? This is crowd participation. He spoke how? plainly about this and Peter. All right. Peter, the one who just said, you're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. You're the hope of Israel. Peter takes him, the anointed one, the hope of Israel, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, you're the ancient of, you're, you stood before the ancient days, but you don't know what you're talking about. Stop being so negative. Jesus, don't you know that this is going to turn the crowds off? I mean, come on, stop it right now. Remember the storm, you spoke to the weather, the weather obeyed you, there's no way any human being is going to kill you. Stop it. Let's put on a smile and let's go back and let's talk about loving your neighbor. 
because everybody likes that. Look how Jesus responds. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples. He rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Ow. He's not done. When Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That's a double ouch. That's two ouchies. You see, it's human nature to think about human things. It's natural to think about the natural. It's supernatural to think about the things of God. And when I was thinking about this, I remembered, I saw this picture. Um, Pastoral search committee, they're talking. They say, basically, we're looking for an innovative pastor with a fresh vision who will inspire our church to remain exactly the same. One of my former pastors put this on his Facebook page. I laughed and then I started looking at the comments because a bunch of pastors were writing and they said, we've interviewed with this, this committee at several different churches in our ministry. Oh, we want someone anointed of God to give us a vision to make us stay the same. Because human nature is I care about me more than I care about anything else. And so we don't want a pastor to challenge us. We want a pastor to make us feel good. So Peter... I mean, let's, Jesus says, let's be honest, Pete. Up to now, you've enjoyed the perks of following me because up to now, the perks are really good. But Peter, you're acting like a consumer, not a follower. Let's define it. Consumer is, what can I get? Number one question I hear about people looking for churches, not just this church, any church. What can I get out of it? What do you have for me? I never hear this question. <laughs> what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to be, God? Because see, a follower is one who goes wherever God tells them or God leads them, no matter what the cost is. So the best question you can ask is, God, what do you want me to do? And where do you want me to do it? That's all you need to ask him. And Jesus says to, to Peter, the reason I'm nailing you right now in front of everyone is because you don't give a rip about what's about to happen to me, Jesus says. You only care what's going to happen to you because of what's going to happen to me. There's a triple ouch and I'll quit with the ouchies. Then he called the crowd, Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and he said, now you need to understand what Jesus is about to say is literal because what, of what is about to literally happen to him. Right after this, he's going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be tried, he's going to be falsely accused, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be nailed to a cross and he's going to die for the sins of the world. Now if you follow too closely to the dude who's about to be nailed on a cross, what might happen to you? You might be nailed to a cross. And, and shortly after this, Jesus hears about Lazarus being sick. And, and Jesus waits until Lazarus dies. And he said, hey, we got to go to Bethany. Bethany's right outside of Jerusalem. Everybody in Jerusalem was looking for an opportunity to kill Jesus. The religious leaders were. And so Thomas, that great uh, doubting Thomas, Thomas goes, well, if he's going to go, we might as well go and die with him. He was smarting off. He did not intend to give his life for Jesus. He's saying, if Jesus is going to be killed, it's going to be dangerous. I guess we'll go with him. <laughs> now, I think I can say with confidence that you will never be nailed to a cross for following Jesus. That could not be said about his followers. In fact, if you Google what happened to Jesus' disciples, all of them died a martyr's death, except John. We don't know for sure about John, but he was exiled to Patmos. And Peter, the number one leader of the Jerusalem church, tradition tells us Peter was crucified upside down because he said, I cannot, I cannot be crucified the same way my Lord was because I'm unworthy. If you follow Jesus, it's going to cost you. 
when, uh, after my freshman year at Baylor, Actually, during my freshman year, my brother was building a house and he was working full time for Exxon and I was broke and he knew I was broke. So he said, I'll pay you five bucks an hour if you'll come help me build my house. Well, that's a lot of money back then. And he knew that if he introduced me to a cute girl, I would be more willing to come. So my sister-in-law was a teacher and she scouted out all the girls and found a good Christian girl. And I'm not making any of this up. Introduced me to this girl. So I would drive two or three times a month my second semester at Baylor and I would help my brother work and I'd go out with this girl. Well, then he said, why don't you come and work for me this summer? I'll pay you $200 a week. That's a lot lot of money back in 1983 and and I would have room and board so they would feed me all I wanted to and so I was like sure and the girl was there so I went back well then because I'm an August birthday after August 1st and August 1st is a cutoff or at least it used to be for baseball enrolling in baseball so after I'd been a freshman at Baylor I was still young enough to play in the senior league baseball in Sulphur Springs Texas and so I tried out and I made a team and this was fun playing with a bunch of high school kids and I got to know them and so at the end end of the summer, after we'd done this little all-star trip and all this stuff, the, uh, the, some of the players invited me to FCA one night. So we go to this house and we're sitting around and it's an awesome house and there's a bunch of people there. And this football player, he was a linebacker. He was, he was a stud. I mean, he was one of the popular guys in church in school and he had just received Christ. And so we're sitting around and there's some good teaching going on. We sang, somebody played and, and, and we sing some songs. And all of a sudden this guy stands up. He had just come to Christ and he said, I'm a Christian now. And if you want to be part of my crowd, you need to accept Christ right now. Only cool people at our school are going to follow Jesus. And you got, and I'm sitting there going, Oh dear God, I'm, I'm, I'm about to turn 19 and go back to Baylor for my sophomore year. And I'm sitting there and this, this feeling in my gut, first time this has ever happened to me when I'm going, this is not right. What he's saying is not right. And there's a whole crowd of people there and it's the cool people, the athletes. And, and I've just felt like, Oh, I've got to say something. And so when he took a breath, I raised my hand. I said, um, I'm, I, I, it's great that you accepted Christ. But if you follow Christ, you're not going to be popular. And I don't even remember what el- all else I said. I just remember thinking, I'm probably not going to be invited back to FCA next week. Because what I'm going to say is not popular. And, and honestly, just a few weeks later is when God gave me the opportunity to become a youth minister. And I think that was part of the deal was I had to, I had to say, here's, here's what following Jesus really is. You see, if you want to follow Jesus, you'd be a Jesus follower, not a consumer. You need to understand from time to time, you're going to have to deny yourself. And just so you're clear before you leave here, what deny yourself means, let's stick it up on the screen. Deny yourself means say no to you. But God, I really, 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 really want it. Really. God says, no, that's not best. I'm just telling you, if you're a follower from time to time, your will and God's will are going to be in conflict. And what you decide at that moment reveals whether you're a follower or a consumer. Followers deny themselves. They say no to themselves so that they can say yes to Jesus. Jesus tells his followers, take up your cross. And he's not talking about a necklace, an an article of jewelry. He's not talking about a t-shirt. I wear a t-shirt every week that has some type of message on it. Miss Yvonne, she's been wearing, since I started this series, she comes to the early service, she's been wearing, I have decided to follow Jesus. She has a different one for each Sunday. It has a different verse on the back. I have decided to follow Jesus. And every week she goes, look at my shirt this week. And she'll turn around and let me see the back of it. 
that's awesome, and I'm going to wear messages about Jesus, but that's not enough. He's not talking about this because, see, every person who heard him say, you need to take up your cross, had seen bodies hanging on crosses. The Romans would put them at the major intersections coming into the road, uh, into the towns, so that people would see, here's the message. If you mess with us, the Romans, we're going to hang you on a cross. And if, if the Romans were still in charge today, everywhere you see those Palestine signs, like so like when you're going back into Palestine 155 right there uh, at the loop, you see Palestine, it's that brick thing. If the Romans were in charge, every time someone crossed them, they would hang a body on a cross there to tell you, don't you dare mess with us or we'll kill you. So when Jesus says to them, take up your cross, they're going, oh my. This was a hard teaching. And I think Peter was like, hey, Jesus, don't you remember when you healed my mother-in-law? That was awesome. Besides the fact that it was my mother-in-law, but healings are awesome, God. It's, it's awesome to watch you heal. That's good. Talking about healings, talking about loving your neighbor, that's good. Crosses are bad. If you keep talking about crosses, you're, we're going to lose these crowds. And, and in fact, that's what happened. They lost the crowd because people were saying, it's too much. It costs too much to follow Jesus. And can I tell you something right now? I'm going to tell you. Some of you left church years ago, not because you didn't believe in God, but because you didn't want to say no to you. And you flat out got tired of being challenged to say no to you. Now, before you get mad at me, <laughs> Listen to what Jesus says next. He says, for whoever wants to save their life, and let me just ask, crowd participation, how many of you want to save your life? Come on now. First service, everybody, wants, everybody there wanted to save their lives too. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. This is Jesus Christ speaking. You're going to lose it anyway. You're going to die. Somebody's going to prepare your funeral message someday. Unless you're here when Jesus returns and raptures the church, somebody's going to give your message at your funeral. You're going to die. You're going to lose it anyway. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. Jesus says, if you choose to follow me and you lose your life in process of following me, you do not lose it. But I might lose this relationship, this sinful relationship that I'm in. Well, you're going to lose it anyway. I might lose this good relationship I'm in. You're going to lose it anyway. I might lose my job. You're going to lose it anyway. I might lose this house. I might lose my image. I might lose... I might lose something if I follow Jesus. Well, you're going to lose that stuff anyway. But if you lose it for Jesus, you don't lose it. So he says this, lose it with a purpose. Lose your life with a purpose. Thought of this, this uh, quote, Jim Elliott. Have, how many of y'all know who Jim Elliott is? I know you do, Ann. You have that movie. If you need a movie, talk to Ann. Jim Elliott was a, was a missionary, and here's what he said. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This was years ago. He was a missionary to Ecuador, uh, the Aka Indians. He went down and he and four of his buddies went down and learned how to speak Spanish. And then they went and they tried to learn some of the language of the Akas. Here's the problem with the Akas. Anybody who was not an Aka, they killed. You came too close, they killed you. They had killed a bunch of, of oil workers who got too close to their camp, they killed them. Um, other tribes, they had led to Christ. Jim Elliott and his buddies had led to Christ. And, and those people, if they tried to make any contact with the Akas, they killed them. 
outsiders were killed because they were outsiders. Jim, at 29 years of age, decided, I've got to reach them for Christ. Nobody else is going to do it. So he and his buddies, they started flying over this village, and they would drop supplies down. And they kept doing this and kept doing this. Well, then they decided one day to land on a beach. The plane, they found a little stretch of beach big enough to land their plane on. They go and they land on the beach and they make contact with two women. They gave her, they gave them some supplies, some gifts. They went back and they were going to build a tree house so that they could be safe until they could make more contact with these Indians, uh, Akas. And so what happens is a few days later, they see two women coming through the woods on the other side of the river and they walk out. They begin to wade out to meet them. They think, this is it. We're going to get to lead them to Christ. As they're going out, they hear rustling behind them. They turn around and there's men, the warriors in war paint with their spears up. Jim has a gun, but they had decided we will not shoot anyone. We will not kill anyone who's not a Christian to save our own life. He left the gun in there. The warriors raised their spears. They kill all five of them. Now, he was 29, and he had a wife, and he had a a young baby. They waited for days, and then they sent um, planes, and they find out that they're dead on the beach, and they land, and they bury them. And here's the amazing thing. This guy who said that, put that quote back up there if you would, Travis. The guy who said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He gave his life. His wife and two-year-old daughter moved back and began ministering to the Aka Indians. And because... Her husband had given his life. They didn't listen to anybody who had not shed blood for a cause. You have to believe it enough that you give your blood or they don't listen to you. Her husband gave his blood. She came back. She eventually becomes part of a team that leads the whole tribe to Christ. They changed the name. And and one of them, the chief, has even visited the United States. You need to see this movie. That guy who gave everything said, you're not a fool if you give it away. That's how you save your life is you give it for the sake of Jesus or the gospel. That's how you save your life. That guy said it. Here's how Jesus says it in verse 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What if you you could have everything you ever wanted, but it cost you your soul? Would you do that? There's a lot of people doing that today. Now, in Jesus' day, there were two groups of people, religious leaders, Sadducees and Pharisees. And the Sadducees were the rich people, and they actually had most of the leadership positions, but they were rich, were not in contact with the common man. The Pharisees were middle-class people. They were more in contact with, but um, they had this major difference. Here was the major difference. The Sadducees did not believe in life after death. They didn't believe in angels and demons. So they thought when you die, you just die. There's nothing left. That's why they were so sad, you see. The Pharisees were all about rules, and they weren't fair, you see. You'll remember that. You won't remember anything else. Ricky Baker remembered that I said one time, sex is good. Remember I told you last week, y'all don't remember what I said. He comes up out there, and he goes, you said one time in a sermon, sex is good in marriage. I said, yay, Ricky, that you remembered that. That is true. He's been here for years, and that's what he remembers. But he's married, and that's okay. The Sadducees did not believe in life after death. What a horrible way to live. And and depending on which poll you look at, Americans, somewhere between 8 and 10 and 97% of Americans believe there is a life after death. So Jesus says to those folks, to you and I who believe there's a life after death, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? You know what forfeit means. It means to lose. Either you don't have enough people to play a game and you lose or 
you cheat and they find out later. I just read this week that Notre Dame in, I think it was 2012, 2011, 2012, they won 12 games and went to the national championship game in football. And, and even though they lost that game, they now have somehow they cheated and they're being forced to forfeit all of those 12 games that they won. How do you think that makes them feel? That's a football game. How would you feel if you get to the end of your life and realize you've given up everything your soul is going to hell? What would you give in exchange? What would you give to save your soul? Easy answer. You'd give everything you've ever accomplished to save your soul. <laughs> Look what he says in verse 37. What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If you were to stand before Jesus, you're about to be cast into hell, and you say, Lord, what do I have to do to change my my fate. Give it all away. Done. You'd give it all away. Now, for those of you who are afraid to follow or you're afraid you have to give up too much to follow, do you know what Jesus just taught you in this, in this little lesson? He taught you the value of your soul. And I don't want you to ever forget it. Here's the lesson. My soul is greater than my stuff. And if at the end of your life you would trade everything to save your soul, how valuable can that stuff be in the first place? How hard would it be to give it up with a purpose for Jesus or the sake of the gospel? Jesus says you have a choice about how to give it away. You can give it away in such a way that not only do you save your future, you impact the futures of the people that you love. Now look what he says. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, hey, aren't you a Christian? Oh, yeah. Don't you go to church? Well, yeah, I go to church, but I'm not a fanatic. I don't believe everything they teach. I don't believe everything that's in the Bible. I just go for the miracles. I just go when I need something from God. I'm just there for what I can get out of it. Jesus said, when, the li when life gets tough and you quit following me and you're ashamed to follow me, he says, the son of man, there's that term again, will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory with his holy angels. Jesus, I'll never be ashamed of you. Who said that? Peter, right before a junior high girl said, aren't you one of his followers? And he said, no, I don't know the man. And he calls down curses from heaven. I do not know him. Sometimes it's difficult to follow Jesus. And so I want to tell you the moral of the story as we wrap this up today. Here's the moral of the story. Salvation is free. Don't you ever say that salvation is cheap because it costs the son of God his life. It's the most expensive free gift you will ever receive. It's free. Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death. You deserve death. I deserve death because of our sin. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is a free gift. It costs you nothing. It costs Jesus everything. So the moral of the story, salvation is free. But if you follow Jesus, eventually it's going to cost you something. You're going to have to make a decision. Am I going, because we, y'all agree we live in, a, in a, an adulterous and sinful generation? Because we do, there's going to come a time when somebody's going to ask you, you're going to have to either stand up and acknowledge, yes, I'm a Jesus follower, or you're going to deny him. And let me just tell you right now, denying Jesus is going to feel like some stuff. First thing is when you deny, I mean, denying yourself will feel like answering to the morality police. 
See, when Jesus tells you to do something, it may not be something that everybody needs to do or everybody needs to stop doing. Years ago, I felt like God told me I wasn't supposed to go to R-rated movies because I couldn't handle putting that garbage in my mind, so I don't go to R-rated movies. If it comes on TV, that's the only way I watch is certain channels take out the cuss words. That's the only way I watch an R-rated movie. I will not go to an R-rated movie. Can't do it because God said not to. That's not something I think that he tells everybody to do, but he told me to do that. And when you do that, there's going to be somebody go, it's just a movie. It's just sex. It's just living together. It's just drugs. It's just cheating. Translation, when somebody tells you that, is I'm doing it and it makes me feel bad when you don't do it. So why don't you be a denier like me so I feel better about myself? And this is the generation we live in. If you don't believe it, look what happened to, to, to Mike Pence, the vice president, just because he's a follower of Christ. He's being made fun of because he never is in a room with someone of the opposite sex, but his wife. People are making fun of him. I'm the same way. Unless I'm related to you. There was a, one time somebody left the door open and, and this lady walked in and I heard the door and nobody was supposed to be here and I was going, <gasps> and so I go and I escort her out and I said, we have a rule here. You cannot be in this building with me. And we went out and stood outside and she goes, oh, I'm sorry. I said, well, it's just a rule. You can't be in here. And she needed something. So I said, I'll meet you down at the gas station. I'll fill your car up with gas, but you can't, and we're not going together. Can't do it. God's told me I can't do those things. And people are going to condemn you when you, when you follow Jesus because they're not doing those things and you make them feel bad, but I don't answer to them. Honestly, I don't answer to you. I answer to the son of man, the ancient of days. Denying yourself is also going to feel like a death because you're going to have to make some choices. You're going to have to give up some stuff that you like to do. It's like um, you can't do your will and God's will because they're going to conflict. It's like, it's like that wise father in Sweet Home Alabama said, you can't ride two horses with one butt, sugar bean. That's the clean version. That's some great advice. You can't ride your will and God's will at the same time. You got to make a choice and you're probably going to have to give up some things that you like. And because you have to make a choice, denying yourself is going to feel like a defining moment because that's what it is. And you're going to discover something in that moment that you couldn't discover any way else. You're going to discover whose you are. Go ahead and put that next one up there if you would, Travis. When you learn to say no, God says this, when you learn to say no to me so that you can say yes to Jesus, do you know what you are? A follower. When you learn to say no to you so you can say yes to Jesus, that's what following is all about. It's not about you. It's all about him. Jesus said, or Jeremiah, this is a promise God gives to, to the people of Israel. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Some of you need to make a decision this week. And in fact, you've known you need to make a decision for a long time. There's something you need to stop doing. There's someone you need to stop seeing. There's some places you don't need to go. There's some stuff you've known. And by the way, let me just say this. I'm not talking about getting out of a marriage. There are biblical reasons to get out of a marriage. Convenience is not a reason to get out of a marriage. And I'm not talking about your past. I'm talking about your future. You better be very careful getting out of a marriage because God says, I hate divorce. You should, you should go through counseling. You should have some Christians that you trust their, their, um, their walk with Christ and they walk with you. There are biblical reasons for divorce, but convenience is not one of those. You don't get to say yes to yourself to walk away from a marriage. You have to say no to yourself. And then, then if, anyway, I'll get off that high horse. 
If you refuse to follow Jesus, it will cost you more than you can ever possibly imagine. God's plan to prosper you and give you a hope and a future is only promised to followers, not consumers. And we sang a song today. We've been talking about it for weeks. We sang it today. I will follow you. Did you mean those words or did you just sing them because they're on the screen? I want you to bow your heads for a moment. I'm going to pray for us. And the way we're going to do the registration cards today is I've got that hymn, the old hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. And I'm going to play that and and we're going to be dismissed from this point. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask you if you're ready to follow and you're not doing this for anybody else. You're doing this as a symbol to God. The first service, a bunch of people came up here. I'm going to ask you to take your registration card and bring it up here and put it on the steps. And when you do that, then you're dismissed to leave. But please don't fellowship in here. Some folks may sit here a while and do some business with God. This is a big deal. I'm asking you to deny yourself and follow Jesus. And if you're willing to symbolically say that to God, put I will follow on the back of your registration card. And when this song starts playing, when you're ready, you come and lay it down here and then just please leave quietly. You can visit out in the, in the living room, fine with that. But in here, this is a cosmic battle going on right now where some people are going to decide whether they give their soul to Jesus or walk away. This is not a time to play games. Father, wake us up. Because I fear that, that the church in America <clears throat> is a church of convenience. And we hear that word sacrifice and we run away because it just costs too much. I pray that new life would be one, a whole congregation of people who deny themselves so they can say yes to you. Speak to your people now and, and make this a defining moment, God, like Dennis had, like others in this congregation have had, so that we'll follow you regardless of the cost. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.